Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Captain and the Keeper old-time vintage hockey radio program podcast. I'm your host, the Captain, and with me, as always, is the Keeper. Uh, thanks a lot, Captain. Thanks for uh, giving me a nice introduction there. We are going to start out our show today with a news recap of some things that happened in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we'll be touching on some of our predictions for the conference finals, uh, as well as talking about a new segment called Obscure Hockey Pop Culture References, which I'm excited to discuss. And finally, we will finish off with everyone's favorite segment, Hugging the Post. Well, you and all three other crazy goalies out there, uh, maybe that's the case. So uh, what do you got for us in the news, Keeper? Uh, so in the second round, we had some pretty cool stories. Uh, I think first up, we have Oscar Lindbaum for the Philadelphia Flyers uh, making his return after his cancer diagnosis in December. Um, that was pretty cool to see him make his return to the playoffs and get some actual ice time. He first started out as just taking part in the uh, pregame skate and then finally got himself into a game. That was really cool to see. What do you think? I love it. Uh, this is fantastic stuff. I, I think, unfortunately, all of us have seen uh, people in our lives who have been affected uh, by this type of situation. And uh, to see somebody come back in such a way as uh, Lindbaum did, uh, pretty great stuff. I, I really liked what Barry Trotz had to say after the game, after the series as well, uh, bringing up, uh, kind of giving the uh, giving the nod for the inspiration that uh, Lindbaum presented. And, I, you know, one thing I noticed, too, watching some of that game, you're continuing to notice with these guys in the bubble that without the fans in the atmosphere, it's all about certain little things happening to kind of give some momentum and juice things up a little bit. Uh, Limbaum returning, ultimately, we know now that the, uh, the Islanders did go on to win the series. But Limbaum's return in game six really gave the Flyers an extra edge. You could tell those guys uh, they were not they saw a guy come back from something like that. Uh, they weren't about to quit and they stepped up their game. They rallied and took game six, pretty exciting stuff with the overtime win. Obviously the Islanders went on to win, which is great. Uh, but love to see a guy come back in this type of situation from that. Wish him uh, all the best uh, in his career going forward. And one more note about Limbaugh. He just announced today is a 2020 finalist for the Masterton trophy which if you guys don't know what that is out there, it's um, given every year for the player who exemplifies perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to the game. And he's certainly a strong nominee for that for that um, trophy for this for this 1920 NHL season. So that was pretty cool to see. So Yeah, I've already got him penciled in as the winner there for sure. Uh, you want to talk about overcoming adversity? Doesn't get any better than that. Uh, no better. You won't find a better display of overcoming adversity and coming back and being able to compete in the National Hockey League. Uh, just just awesome stuff. Great stuff. And I guess our next story, you know, we, we all know the Bruins were eliminated. They were the, the one team that did not make the comeback to force a game seven or at least a game six from being down three one as the other teams did. The Canucks, the Avalanche and the Flyers were able to do. So the Bruins are done and begs the question is. Zidane Chara done as well. And this was the, the end of his contract with the Bruins. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's now into his early 40s. Uh, have we seen the last of Big Z in the National Hockey League? Well, it'd be kind of difficult to imagine the NHL without this guy at this point. I mean, for, for me, it's Chara and Yarmur Yager as the two guys that just uh, you know, you could certainly make a case for Chelios in there as well, playing until uh, pretty close to 50. But in this modern crop of players, 
You've got these three guys with tremendous amounts of longevity. Chara has a unique build. He's the tallest player to play the game. Um, he is a, a unique physical specimen, interesting skill set, a tremendous athlete. I'm going to go ahead and say no. We have not seen the end of Zdeno Chara. I think uh, he may take a little bit less money because let, let's face it, at this point, if he's he's been saying all along he's wanting to play, he's good to go. Uh, I would think in today's NHL, what it really comes down to is he willing to play for less money because with teams struggling with a flat salary cap coming up for next year, there's no question that the Bruins would love to have Chara back if he's a affordable option for them. If he expects to be paid big money, uh, that's where it becomes a little bit of an issue. But even still, I think there's another team out there that will take a chance on old Big Z. What do you think, Keeper? I hope we do see him because if we do, if he does, if he has finished his career, that would be one of the last players from the 1990s to ever play in the National Hockey League. So as far as I can remember or think back, we we have Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe as I think the last two guys remaining who played in the 1990s so hopefully char can keep going on a little bit longer and like you said he has that um he has that yager like quality of being able to play into his 40s at a pretty high level um i'm sure he would take a lower you know salary or lower pay or complete league minimum maybe just to continue playing i know the bruins have to sign tory krug um so we'll see if they have enough left over for zdeno char no maybe they don't even re-sign krug maybe krug goes somewhere else who knows lots of lots is up in the air but he did express a desire to continue to play uh, for the Bruins. Uh, another quick note, um, the NHL playoffs are good for um, having un- unknown names become household names overnight. And guys who you aren't even in the lineup every night become heroes in overtime. And the Dallas Stars had one of those guys in Yoel Kiviranta, who scored the game-winning goal. He had a hat trick. He had a hat trick in Game 7 to wow. defeat the Avalanche to propel the Stars into the conference finals. So, Kind of reminded me of like the David Volick um, story from 1993 that we mentioned when with playoff heroes uh, on a previous episode, which I'm sure everybody remembers. Uh, so Keith Durant makes a name for himself as scoring an OT winner in Game Seven, and to top it off, he had a hat trick that night. Pretty cool story, right? No big deal. Just popping a Game Seven hattie to close out the series. That's the stuff legends are made of. Uh, fantastic stuff. If you haven't heard it. Uh, there's a great uh, broadcaster from uh, somebody over in Finland covering the game. Uh, this guy just goes nuts on the uh, game call. If you haven't heard it, go uh, look that up real quick. Uh, pretty awesome to uh, to hear that level of excitement. Always a good thing. But now are we talking about a David Volick situation where this guy is going to maybe fade into obscurity after this? Or are we talking about the beginning of some uh, maybe the next – uh, Chris Drury or a Justin Williams type of player. I mean, hopefully for him, the latter, right? But uh, who knows? He, he's, I think he's 24. Uh, he was undrafted. I mean, that's the, the stuff of, you know, the stuff of um, movies that they would write stories about. Like, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I think he was even questioning whether or not he was going to be dressed for game one of the conference finals. I was and- also <laughs> wondering whether or not I was going to be able to dress for game one of the conference finals. Maybe a little bit of a different uh, angle, but you know, I was sitting at home waiting for the call at any time. Didn't come. Uh, obviously, he got it and he delivered with a hat trick. So I think they went the right direction there uh, for sure. But you saw some similarities here. You, you take us a little bit through. So you mentioned the David Volick, uh, 1993 New York Islanders. That has some other parallels to today. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Uh, well, this is a pretty cool one, I think. So as we all know, last night, the Islanders um, shut out the Flyers in Game 7 and pushed themselves into the conference finals for the first time in 27 years. That's 1993. So, and we mentioned again the David Volick story. I'm, I'm is... going to go ahead and stop you right there. There is no way that 1993 is 27 years ago. I think that sounds ridiculous. It sounds erroneous. And uh, I'm starting to get a little agitated when you say things like that. Uh, but continue. I think you sound like an old man because that's how an old man talks. They, they, they forget the passage of time is going by very fast. And they lament how fast time is going. You sound like an old guy. I wouldn't say that, no, but I'll allow you to continue nonetheless out of the kindness of my heart. All right, old man. So here's what I'm going to do. So the Islanders, you know, in 1993, made it to the conference finals against the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, in the New York Post, Larry Brooks had a column, and today he, he, he had a pretty interesting tidbit. tidbit. Um, in the 92-93 in the season, there were 24 NHL teams, 24. Of those 24 teams, 23 of them, had made it to the conference finals in the years since at least one time. There was only one team who had yet to make the conference finals, and that was the New York Islanders. And last night, they ended that. So there's a lot of Islander fans out there who had spent their whole adult life, and probably their entire life in general, it's been 27 years, never seeing their team get this far. You know, over that over that 27 years, and the Islanders fans out there can understand, there has been a failed fisherman jersey which came out, which I particularly love. There's been a fraud of an owner. There's been constant discussion of moving out of Nassau Coliseum. Um, the team has been in the basement. They signed Rick Pietro to 15 years. They can't the Mike get a, Milbury era. They've been the Mike Milbury era. They had Zidane Ochara at one point and traded him to the Ottawa Senators. I mean, they had quite a few you know, potential Hall of Fame guys during that time period and traded them away. So for the fan base to actually soak up this... You know, advance to the conference finals is, is got to be a, like a, a sense of satisfaction and relief for a team that 40 years ago was about to start a four cup run dynasty. So I think it's a pretty cool story with the New York Islanders making it to the conference finals. What do you think? I, uh, I'm the Islanders and the Vegas golden Knights, particularly in this playoff are actually really kind of irritating me a little bit. And I say that in a, in a positive way because I wish we had a chance to see their fans on TV because uh, what we saw with Vegas when they went to the conference, well, to when they went to the Stanley Cup uh, finals and that whole uh, showmanship, all the stuff they were doing was great. The Islanders, on the other hand, for anybody who is not aware, their fan base is rabid. Nassau Coliseum, even with 13 to 14,000 people in it, that building rocks. Uh, it shakes the very ground. In, uh, in a 40-mile radius, you can detect shaking in the ground. Um, that place is crazy. I mean, the, the Coliseum goes nuts. Obviously, they're building a new stadium, and and the Barclays Center is, uh, well, that's a building. I don't it's know on its way counts. out. Yeah, good. It doesn't count as a hockey building. But Nassau Coliseum, if they would have been playing this year, if this hadn't happened, these games would presumably be at the Coliseum. Oh, yeah, they right? definitely would have been. So my point of contention is I love to see these teams advance, but I also feel like we are getting shortchanged. This could have been the Islanders at Nassau Coliseum one more time in their old, the old barn, their old uh, Stanley Cup house that they took their four championships in. So happy to see the Islanders doing well, but 
on the other hand, I feel like the the NHL world is being gypped a little bit from uh, just an absolutely insane uh, fan base. That's a good. That's really good point. I mean, I think the fans will probably still be you know tailgating at the Coliseum parking lot. I'm sure at this particular time. You know, I don't think they would have lost a home game. I don't think they would have lost a game in overtime either, like Game Six. I don't think it's possible. You can't. You can't lose in that building in that environment. Uh, they would have won the cup. So like you have guys like. Like Carter Hart for Philadelphia, right? He had a great playoff. Would he have been rattled by the Islander fans? At I think so. I've been in that building and experienced that uh, environment, uh, even just as a fan listening in. I, I've, I mean, you get a little nervous. That that place is insane, and I mean that in a good way. I mean that the fans are passionate. They love the game. Uh, they're not afraid to throw a bottle at your head here or there, but you know you gotta you gotta keep your head up out there. It's part of the- part of the game you're always likely to see uh, just about as many fights in the stands at the coliseum as you are on the ice that's always a fun fun thing to see but i think we're missing out a little bit of that i think the islander fans would feel a little cheated if this was to somehow be the one where they cap off the magical run believe it or not i actually heard an islander fan say to me that he would not want the islanders to win this year because it has the asterisk next to the to the cup and I say, why Why would you not want to win? This is your chance to win a Stanley Cup. The name still gets engraved. You still get the ring. Why would you, why would you like, shoot this down? I mean, this is still a cup. Well, I understand that logic. I don't agree with that logic. I'm with you on this one. I don't think there is an asterisk. I think this is about as hard. If if not, this might be the hardest Stanley Cup to win. I mean, this. there's additional challenges here. These guys are away from their families. They're playing in a bubble. I mean, there's so much going on here. Um, I, I don't view it from the asterisk standpoint. I think the team that wins this deserves it, and this is the real deal. However, uh, if, if there is – I'll say this. If there was going to be an asterisk, it should be asterisk to say this was the hardest Stanley Cup to win. You got to win and, more than 16 games perhaps. And, now and have to possibly do that. more than 16 games. That's a good point too. But my thing is from the other side, I see it and say we the fans are being deprived of what would have been some insanity on behalf of the fans for the Islanders and the spectacle that teams like the Golden Knights bring out West to. Uh, so a little, I have a little bit of a different viewpoint. It's not about the asterisk, but uh, it is about what we could have had a chance to witness. I think you're 100% right, and I hate to agree with you, but I got to agree with you on this one. And the bubble scene shifts from Toronto. Toronto's time in the bubble is done. The scene shifts to Edmonton now for the conference finals, which makes us, you know, we're in the spot right now where the conference finals begin tonight. We're in a great spot to actually make some predictions, which we didn't get a chance to do for round two. So how about it, Captain? What do you think we uh, roll the dice and make some calls on the the two series that are left in the East and the West? Well, I mean, we, again, we did have a chance to make some predictions. They didn't make their way to the airwaves before time, and this is due to a number of things, uh, all of which are scheduling and logistical and all sorts of uh, fancy, complicated reasons that I won't Weather bore. conditions, I'm sure. I won't um, bore the listeners with them, but... You know, they have absolutely nothing to do with my correctness percentage. Tropical which storms dropped considerably in the second round, but we will uh, let let's briefly do this uh, for for argument's sake. We have decided that we will not share any predictions, so we flipped some coins. We fought it out. You said last week on uh, episode seven, you told everybody that you were going to stick with the Islanders through to the end as far as they're in it. 
you picked them. Um, I'm sorry to tell you that the Cinderella story is over. They're going home. Tampa Bay Lightning are going to close this thing out, and uh, that's no problem. Now, out west is where I'm feeling a little bit less uh, enthusiastic. I've got Dallas over the Golden Knights. Uh, What do you got? What do you see coming? Well, I think you're just dead wrong on this right now. I don't even know what's going on with you. I mean, let's go back. We'll start in the East. So I do, I do agree that Tampa, I think, will be the most challenging team for the Islanders to face. But I think they're going to rise to the challenge. I think they got the, the, the momentum, and that train is riding strong. I think they'll ultimately take Tampa. I think it'll be seven games. But um, I think Barry Trotz has got that team going on all cylinders, and you can't underestimate Josh Bailey. Just really quickly, every time you watch the Islanders right now or every time you see a highlight, who's the guy dishing off the puck? Sending saucers to the would-be goal scorer. I love a little sauce. Love it. it. And Josh Bailey is uh, he's ladling out spoonfuls of sauce for everybody. Oh. oh, I mean, he's got the ladle. He's scooping it out for you. He's laying it on your dish, and he's putting you in a spot where you could just tap her home. So Josh Bailey got 17 points, 15 assists already in the in the 2020 playoffs. So he's been outstanding, and he's been with the Islanders when they well, since they've been terrible. Well, let me just tell you something. All the experts knew that Josh Bailey would not succeed without John Tavares. That's the only reason he was even an effective player. I remember reading that from every hockey expert that there was. So this kind of sounds a little impossible, Keeper. What are you trying to peddle on us here? I don't know. He was drafted in the first round. I mean, he was ninth overall pick one year before Tavares. So maybe he does not need JT to play very well. I mean, he's been outstanding as the veteran leader here. And he was, like I say, he was with the Islanders as they began their rise to be a good team. He was with them when they were absolutely brutal in those first couple of years that he was on the team. Fans are really hard on Josh Bailey. You mentioned the Coliseum fans. They could be hard on opposing players. They could be even harder on their own guys. I know fans have chanted for Josh Bailey to score and do something for, for years and I would love to see how they would react to him in person right now. So I agree. The fans are getting gypped. So do you just, think if the Islanders win the cup, you think Josh Bailey's going to come out there and uh, hoist the con Smythe? I don't know. He's looking pretty good right now. I mean, geez, oh. I wouldn't put it out of the question of possibility. Bold, bold stuff right there. But so I, I understand, you know, we, we've had a lot of uh, discussion breakdowns on past series, and this is where it really gets tough. This is where you've, analyze the teams you've paid attention to one versus the other now they come head to head they come clashing at each other um the islanders i think we saw we talked in the previous rounds about the situation with barry trotz we've also talked about tampa and how they lost to columbus last year i think that the islanders are kind of like columbus on steroids from last year big time playing against the tampa bay lightning if there is a team and a coaching style that can shut this Tampa Bay d- team down, uh, I do think it is this New York Islanders team. You saw game seven. These guys were opportunists. They waited. Uh, they found their opportunities. They generated offense. And game seven didn't turn out to be close. Those guys stepped up. They took care of business. Now, that being said, I have picked the Tampa Bay Lightning to win the series. Uh, I Made that prediction earlier. I also read a news article stating that it 
does appear that Stamkos will not be able to return for the entirety of this round. (laughs) So uh, that was a guy, you know, this is a guy who's been out with an undisclosed lower body injury since. Unfit to play. Unfit since February. He could be a game. Well, maybe he could be a game breaker. He's 30 years old now. So who knows what he'll even bring when he comes back. The NHL now 28 is like what 35 used to be. So 30, he's kind of pushing over the hill, but point is they'll be playing without him and uh i i still think tampa has got the makeup they've got a lot of depth on that team i think this is going to go down to the wire for sure but for the sake of argument really i'm I'm going with tampa here and they're not playing against the boston bruins who had yaroslav halakin goal after rask left so i i think it's going to be a lot harder for them but who do you think starts in goal for the islanders this one i mean you know this is interesting to me because I, I know you can give us the goalie side, the breakdown. Um, so Varlamov was pretty strong for the Islanders throughout most of uh, the whole thing. I was not expecting to see Grice in goal for game seven. Uh, this guy not only gets the nod for game seven, he shuts him out and gets the win. Uh, looked pretty cool to me, Keeper. I'm sure you might have a little bit more behind the scenes analysis but i tell you what i've seen it a few times in a few series here in this postseason i'm loving this whole you don't know which goalie you're gonna see and these guys are taking advantage of these opportunities and running with them grice sure did talk us through a little bit of that yeah we're gonna get into that a little bit more in the hug in the post segment but really quickly for grice i'm a big fan of grice um i've liked him since he was on the sharks and he made his way to the penguins and over to the islanders uh he did play in game four Four of the series um, after the Islanders were already up. I'm sorry, game. Yeah, it was game four, I believe. Uh, I have to double check the stats on that one. So he did have a start already in the series to give Varlamov a break because the games were on back to back nights due to the scheduling. Um, so it wasn't like that far fetched that they would throw him into game seven. Um, I know Trotz used to, uh, used to split the guys pretty evenly in the regular season. So and he said he was confident in whichever goaltender was in net. And I'm sure the team was too. Um, it's not like he's you know, an American league goaltender. He's an official NHL goaltender. Um, and he's very solid. And I think that the Islanders did, did the right thing by putting him in for game seven. Um, they needed a change. And I don't think anybody should be discounting the 16 shots he faced it. Sometimes it's harder when you face less shots. So for the, for the, from the goalie tending perspective to get 16 shots, it's like, Oh, you had a 16 shots, uh, shutout. Well, well, you have to make the timely save to save to the right points. And if you give up one, you look terrible. You give up two, it's even worse, and you're facing that, that few shots. So it's about making the right save at the right time to keep your team alive and to, you know, you know they're doing their job for you. You know, the defense and the forwards, they played well for Grice. I mean, they they kept the they kept the Flyers off, you know, off the board. They kept, they kept them off from having a lot of dangerous chances. So making 16 saves is nothing to, to sneeze at. You know, he still had to make those saves, and he did. So good and, on Christ and good on the Islanders. In your career, you never seem to have a hard time giving up goals, no matter how many shots you faced. Uh, sometimes the team wouldn't even get a shot on that. They'd kind of dump it down in the corner and it would hit the back of your stick and kind of roll in there from the corner. So I, I get where you're coming from. I think we're I both in those. agreement on those type of situations. But uh, yeah, really cool. Um, I, I, but I guess where I'm coming in from this is looking at this through the lens of some vintage hockey. So you, all the points you raised, it sounds really logical that they would play Grice after everything you just said. But that being said, 
look at it through the lens of 1995 or whatever. Just pick a 85, 95, throw a number out there. Could you imagine an NHL team in the 90s turning to their backup goaltender? And I'm doing the air quotes here. Could you imagine uh, the New York Rangers lose a game and let's just say things were a little different. Mike Richter loses in game six. Could you imagine Glenn Healy starting in game seven? Uh, one of our buddies, uh, a longtime Devils fan, has just uh, absolutely never let off the fact that the Devils did not go with John Van Beesbrook when they had the opportunity and instead started Marty Brodeur. Now, he said this for a long time since that. I remember this. Right? But I guess maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe he's right. Maybe – uh, what you're saying now, this is kind of the way things are going in the modern game. Back in the day, you would never have seen this. I think we can agree on that, right? I mean, the starting goalie was the starter, and you were going – it was like the captain going down with the ship. You I know? mean, like Tampa Bay's doing that, right? They're playing Vasilevsky. He's their guy. I don't think we haven't seen McElhaney play, and I don't yeah. think we will. But you are right. I mean, it's you would have never really seen this. I mean, to, for a goalie to have a bad game to just automatically be switched over to the next guy – was was kind of rare. Well, in '95 though, the Rangers did play Glenn Healy. He did play in the playoffs against the Nordiques when the Rangers defeated Quebec. But Richter did regain the number one spot. So, not to say that it didn't happen in the '90s, but it or '80s even before that. But it's definitely more common now. I think maybe it's because of the games being so back to back now. With uh, sometimes there's been no day in between the games, so you need to have your your backup goaltender, and and, and that's something that we have in the, the hug the post segment. Seeing your third goaltender. Or maybe even your fourth goaltender. Interesting stuff. And it it kind of, for me, looking at the bigger picture with the makeup of these teams, you know, I've always been of the opinion in the modern game, and and this is not said as a slight, but that the goalie a lot of times ends up being irrelevant. And I say that from a team-building standpoint of on paper, when you're assigning your salary cap to fill your positions – Right. When you are trying to fill out a roster and you're trying to stay under the NHL salary cap, especially with the coming flat cap, I think that you're seeing enough situations with guys like Henrik Lundqvist being surpassed by a rookie on an entry level contract. You're seeing guys like Vasilevsky is delivering, but he's being paid a ton of money. You know, Columbus, you talked about Corpus Salo and Merzlikens. There's teams out there where you know, sometimes the $2 million goalie or the, you know, the entry level contract guy can get just as good of a result as the $8 million starter. So when you're building a Stanley cup team, if you don't have an $8 million guy and you've got two $1 million guys, well, you know, not only, in theory, if those guys are playing well, are you getting the same results? But you've also got six to seven million extra dollars to spend on the rest of the roster. So you talked before about Tory Krug, for example. You know, the Bruins having to try to re-sign him. Well, if you don't have to pay a guy like Tuka Rask, let's say he retires, all of a sudden, your money's right there. So, you know, for me, I've kind of watched this thing and been of the mindset that, look, Let's find a good, affordable option because the goalies of today across the board are just so good that you really never know. And and I don't know that there's – do you think, you know, Keeper, as the representative of all goalies out there, 
do you think that there is that much between an and seven and a half million dollar Bobrovsky and a you know maybe a two million dollar guy or a Grice coming in to win Game Seven? I'm really not saying it as a slight. I'm just kind of speculating that I think that salary cap maybe can be used better elsewhere. I think it could. It's just a team around the goaltender, right? The goaltender is just one player on the team. They don't have to to be a Dominic Hasek and put the guy the team on their shoulder anymore. I mean, it, it, it could be even a rotating tandem, which we've seen already in the Stanley Cup playoffs so far. You have to have two serviceable goalies. Um, I don't think you need that eight-year however many millions of dollars of contract to, to sign a goaltender. I think it's anybody could do the job adequately if you have the right surrounding cask. I mean, Anthony Niemi won a Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I don't mean to badmouth Anthony Niemi here, but he is he's not a Hall of Famer. Um, he wasn't a starting goaltender his entire career. So, I mean, Matt Murray won two Stanley Cups with the Penguins, and he's, uh, he's on the trading block. Uh, it, it, it's just the right guy at the right time. It does not have to be the superstar. Now, Murray... Murray's a really good example here because Murray came up and won those Stanley Cups, not as the multi-million dollar guy, but as the young kid who was the upstart backup to Fleury. So they move on from Fleury. They, you know, they, they stick with Murray. They give him the contract. Well, now round and round we go. Now Murray's the guy that they are just dying to unload that, that it's not that they want to lose him. I don't think it's just, the natural reality of you had to pay him, but now that you had to pay him, he's eating up all the salary cap space and you're in a difficult position. So I don't think you'll be very popular at the uh, goalie players union meeting by basically articulating that goalies are effectively worthless. As I heard you say, well, just I didn't quite say that. That's kind of minutes words, ago, but, but, what they, but they lack value in today's game in terms of which guys are you going to pay the big bucks to, uh, Tampa being the exception right now because they're still in this and they're going at it hard with Vasilevsky, who's got a big-time contract. He's a well-paid player. But let's shift our focus a little bit. You, so you went with the obscured pick for Dallas. I mean, that was a, bo- a bold gamble on your part. I'm going to stay safe. I'm going Vegas. I think the Knights are going to – even though that they had that little scare against Vancouver where they, they went to seven games, that was out of nowhere – uh, especially after how great they looked in the first few games, I think Vegas is going to walk over Dallas. And um, speaking of the goalie situation, I know they're playing against Anton Hudobin, although at any given moment, you never know who's going to play. Is Ben Bishop going to be back in the lineup? He seems to be injured quite a bit. I think if they have Kudobin in net, Hudobin in net, excuse me, I think Vegas is going to is going to come out on top. And from all reports, Marc-Andre Fleury is the game one starter. So, again, back to the two-goalie system. And I thought it was wild when Vegas went out and got Laner for the, at the deadline. But I guess you see it's where, where its worth is now. So that just goes back to our previous conversation. So I'm going to I'm gonna go Vegas, and I'm going to go Islanders. So I think I got the Islanders and I got the, the, the Knights. This is, this is going to be good. But, you know, actually, I think based on our previous discussion we just had – um, we've got a situation here with Vegas and Dallas where we're basically going to prove what we just talked about. We, we just had a discussion about the value of goaltenders. You just talked about having the importance of having two guys, right? Having Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Lehner. And the team I picked, I want to say that maybe I picked them on purpose because maybe they don't have a goalie that really anybody knows about or cares about. I mean, Hudobin was a, what, a third string guy in Carolina two years ago? I mean, this guy's 
this guy's a third stringer most places. He's in the starting role right now, but he's over there. If that team wins, if Dallas prevails versus Vegas, you have to consider the fact that spending money on goalies is a waste of time of epic proportions. Because uh, Vegas is the team that went out and got both of those guys. Dallas has a high price goalie, but he's not. He's out. He's not playing. And they've got this he's other guy. Well, yes, that happens to the best of us. I won't hold that against him. But they've got this other guy, you know, Hadobin's coming in there. If they win, you got to admit, you kind of proved it. You said it. It depends on the defensive system, depends on the quality of shots they're facing. And I'm going to go ahead and say that I picked Dallas for a reason. They're a long shot here, I think. But based on some of the uh, resurgence of Joe Pavelski that I've seen coming up, again, we talked about him in the past, not the current captain. But a former captain, I think that the captains will prevail, the keepers will fail, and that pretty much wraps up the Western Conference. You love yourself some Joe Pavelski, huh? (laughs) I love leadership, and I'm not shy to say that I like a guy that's going to come out there and, uh, you know, take over the game, do what he has to do. I've seen it from him here. You know, he's an aging guy. Love it. Keep Just so everybody going. knows out there, we will not let the goalies be bad-mouthed, trash-talked, or anything else, because Hugging the Post will be coming up soon. So hold tight. Well, I welcome it. So uh, what else we got here coming up on our – so we, we touched on our predictions a little bit. Oh, yeah, what else we got for our news roundup? And next on our rundown, the captain's going to give us an update on NHL 21. So what do you have for us? So uh, NHL 21, as uh, fans of the series know, is coming out this October, a little bit delayed. Uh, we touched on a little bit uh, last episode, talked about some of the uh, stuff that was coming up as far as a possible NHL 94 rewind. But uh, at the moment, there's a current uh, technical test going on for the NHL 21 uh, video game. So uh, this year, you know, I decided to pull some strings, use some of my credentials, and I was selected at random to be part of the beta test, which uh, utilizes... Uh, basically, it just uses two forms of the game. You can do uh, online versus, and you can do part of their uh, world of chill, they call it. Uh, that's an apostrophe. And then C-H-E-L for chill. Chill. That's the okay. vernacular for those of you who have been living under a rock with the keeper for the last Yeah, I don't know. I have I don't know what the chill you're talking about right now. So well, anyway, so the point is it's a technical test. And the technical test allows us the opportunity to test parts of the game and check it out so far, give some impressions and uh, and whatnot. So I'm not allowed to share any screenshots. There's a uh, there's an agreement you have to make when you sign on for these things. Uh, it's pretty secretive. I imagine there's kind of uh, in the hierarchy of things, there's like, Area 51, Roswell, New Mexico. And then just a little bit more secretive than that is the NHL 21 technical test that I am currently part of. So I'm not allowed to share any video or highlights or anything like that, but I can maybe share a few words here. So people that play the NHL games year in and year out, which, uh, you know, I'm one of the people that has played it since the original NHL hockey on Sega Genesis before we even had years appendage to it mm-hmm. and have played straight through here until NHL 21. Um, the past couple years though, I want to say since about NHL 16, 17, a lot of people like myself have been getting, and we're getting a little tired of what we're seeing. It's a rehash year in and year out. Same thing with just a small little change. 
so far, if anybody out there is listening and you've been feeling that same way that I have playing the NHL games for the past three or four years, that it's kind of the same thing. Well, uh, prepare to feel exactly the same way when NHL 21 drops coming up. So in other titles, they they release patches, they release uh, updates. You just, you know, you, you download the new update and you get this one small, tiny little extra feature. Well, so far, that's what NHL 21, the on-ice product seems to be. They seem to have gone to great lengths to make some uh, some changes to the way you can customize your players you know, the way they look when they're skating and some things like that. But they've added one or two little on ice features. There's a cool little, you can do the self pass, the kind of Gretzky type move where you pass the puck to yourself behind the net. You bounce it off the back of the net, pick it up on the other side of the guy. You can do that or similar to the Ovechkin move along the boards where you kind of pass it off the boards to yourself and pick it up on the other side. That's great, but I feel like that could have been added in a free update. I don't know that people will need to pay the full amount of $60 to be able to buy the newest version for this. But that being said, they haven't let us test any of the other stuff yet. Um, the Via Pro Mode's getting overhauled this year. There's some other stuff coming up. I heard a trade deadline frenzies coming up in franchise mode. I will certainly be looking forward to try those. But so far, early impressions are largely the same. So if you're new to the series and you pick it up, you're probably going to love it based on what I'm seeing so far because it is good. But the problem is so was last year and the year before and the year before. It's pretty much the same thing. No real changes there. So happy to report on that. I'll keep you guys posted with anything else that comes out of my official top secret, uh, mostly uh, beta test on the technical side of things. I think you might be in violation of your uh, you know contract there. I think you you might have given away a little too much there, Captain. I don't think so. I think the people need to hear what they need to hear. And I think that they just heard it. So uh, I think the people who sent you that email might've heard this show because they're avid listeners from what I understand. I just hope that you didn't screw anything up for yourself. I know you got a lot of strings that you pull at random. Both of our avid listeners. And I can tell you that neither one of them works for EA sports. So I'm not worried about it, but uh, let's get on to some fun stuff. Well, What's the release date of this game? So we can get this out there. Uh, It's coming up in October. Yeah. Somewhere in October. I'll tell you that right now. I've been, I had all the stats in front of me the other day. I'm a little less excited about it now after having tried the technical test, but I'll be, it it comes and goes. I'll be, uh, I'll be fine in a few days. I just need to, Get excited for it again, and that's all right. But let's get on to our next segment here. Take us away. All right, so our next segment is um, hockey references, obscure ones in pop culture. And uh, last episode, we talked about some of our favorite hockey movies. Uh, Might not have been the ones that everybody would have assumed or predicted, uh, Mystery Alaska and Youngblood. But this week got us thinking about watching TV shows or just watching movies and you just you just notice some hockey in the background, maybe whether it's a pair of goalie pads, a jersey, a stick, a reference, attending a game, whatever it might be. And we decided that, hey, this might be a good discussion for us for the show. So, Captain, what do you think when you think of obscure hockey references? Does any TV show or movie come to mind right away? Well, there's a ton of them. The first one that always jumps out to me because it's literally an example of somebody jumping out in front of a car has got to be David Putty on Seinfeld wearing the devil's Jersey 
wearing the full devil's makeup, jumping out in front of the car and screaming. Uh, Seinfeld, obviously a quintessential 90s TV show at various parts, showed uh, Jerry and uh, Kramer, George, wearing Rangers apparel, Rangers jerseys during you know the post-94 Rangers championship. And then obviously the rivalry with Putty and the Devils came in there. Got to support the team. That show, for me, kind of touched on what I think is a bigger point. So when you there's certain there's people out there that that watch TV and movies, right? There are human beings, some that watch TV and movies, and those human beings have a tendency. And there's two categories that stand out to me. One is Christmas movies, and one is hockey movies and shows. We'll, we'll include shows. So when a movie includes even the slightest element of Christmas in it, for example, Die Hard, he drops the elevator down, writes, ho, 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 now I have a machine gun on the guy's shirt, drops down the elevator, blows it up. The thing's set at Christmas time. At the end of the movie, they play Let It Snow. 99% of sane people out there refer to Die Hard as a Christmas movie. And rightfully so. That those elements were enough to make it a Christmas movie. The threshold for hockey movies is far lower. If there's anything hockey related in a TV show or movie, I have associated that show and that movie with hockey forever and therefore big fan. This I agree with. Putty's the one that stood out to me because he's so aggressive and so over the top. They call him, I believe, El Diablo as he stands in front of the car. Oh, that was the priest. The priest called him that. Yeah, I love it. Fantastic stuff. But there's plenty of more iconic stuff out there. Keeper, which ones are uh, popping in your mind? Uh, The first one that I can think of is Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase, which is probably the greatest of the vacation movies. I think I'm not alone in saying that. There's two hockey references in there. One, he wears Clark Griswold. He wears a, well, it's a, a Jason-inspired goaltender mask, like the, the old full-form fa- full face mask when he pulls up his chainsaw as he's cutting down his tree, or he's trimming his tree, I guess, in his driveway. He puts on the goalie mask. That's one. Second one, he wears a Chicago Blackhawks. The movie takes place in Chicago. He wears a Chicago Blackhawks double-zero Griswold jersey, which to me is um, the greatest hockey sweater you could possibly get. So I ended up getting one of those. I ended up getting a Blackhawks white home jersey, which I think is the greatest jersey in the NHL, which I'm sure we'll get to for another day. Um, that Blackhawks white jersey with the double zero Griswold, true story I'm going to tell real quick. I wore it to a, um, a Christmas ugly Christmas sweater day at work. Um, and people dress up in like the fancy as they got the shirts that are light, that are lighting up and everything. And, you know, they, they go all out. So I wore this. I, I wore the Griswold double zero. And the look of disappointment on people's <laughs> faces when they saw me, as if I dis, as if I was like Chris. I mean, I was um, this, uh, I was like Chris Kringle. I mean, the Grinch. I was like the Grinch walking through wearing a Blackhawks jersey. They said it had nothing to do with Christmas. It had nothing to do with the holidays, and there was sincere disappointment. Well, to I, those people, I think they are not educated enough. They are they are not savvy enough, and not thinkers in terms of understanding what a true hockey movie actually is. I think, and 
I couldn't agree with those people more. I, I think you are lacking. You just said it. I mean, you put the information out there. You said this is one of the most beautiful Christmas. Uh, well, you didn't say Christmas. Beautiful hockey jerseys oh, that you sure. can wear. So you wore a thing of beauty, of timeless, beautiful design to an ugly Christmas sweater party. Why do you think the people were maybe a little bit angry at you? You you didn't follow the rules. You're supposed to bring something ugly. You, you catch the word there? I catch you didn't, the word. You I didn't catch. bring that. You I brought a Blackhawks jersey to an ugly Christmas sweater party. And I honestly, had I been there, I would have escorted you off the property myself. I understand what you're saying, but they didn't think the same way you did. They weren't intelligent enough to understand that it was not the the sweater that was ugly. It was the, the holiday spirit of a double zero Griswold. And people who saw it and understood what it was right away were, I mean, they were as if I was Santa Claus. They were so happy to see me. How I saw somebody and said, that better be a double zero Griswold. It sure was. Well, I will be making it a point of wearing a double zero Griswold at every Christmas function from now until the end of time. I talked about it with my wife last year. Uh, we actually had one uh, ordered that ended up being on back order and would have come like two weeks after Christmas. I made a big mistake by canceling that. And now I'm back in the open market and there's none out there. You know, supply is low right now. And when I get a chance, I'm going to get one. I agree with you. I'll be wearing that for sure. So let me just throw it out there. If I go to an ugly sweater party, and I wear, let's say, um, the Mighty Ducks, their jersey, the Wild Wing. Does that count as an ugly sweater for an ugly sweater party? If you bring it to the Captain and the Keeper old-time vintage hockey radio program podcast Christmas party, then yes, it does. If you go to a normal place with human beings that are not wise in the ways of old-time stick and puck, then you're going to be out there on your own and you're going to be drowning just like you were in the uh, example you just described but there's plenty more examples out there uh from these type of jerseys well jerseys and things that pop up in the background um one of my favorites comes on the uh you know the classic comedy the office uh, michael oh, yeah, sure. scott so this guy aside from being my personal mentor uh michael scott you know whether it be the uh 100% of the shots you don't take go in uh, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Scott. Uh, quote on the board. But so I love the fact that the uh, show is set in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. You know, the show is set in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and they double down. I mean, Steve Carell knows how to skate. He knows how to play hockey. So they uh, they made an entire episode with him rocking a Wilkes-Barre Scranton AHL jersey. Uh, he brings everybody down there. He's got full hockey equipment on. He goes around, and his his nemesis in the show, of course, Toby Flenderson, the uh, HR representative, he skates around Just the, the boards, and he creams this guy with a huge body check. How many of us who have worked in uh, the regular world would love it if we could have set up a, uh, a company party where uh, we could put a little uh, hockey – Hockey, get all your coworkers, everybody you know, put them out on the ice. And that one guy who's always uh, forcing you to have to stay late or give you a hard time. Yeah, it's okay. 
cream them, check them right into the boards. Nobody's going to care. I think people would love it. I loved watching it. Uh, Once I knew Michael Scott was a hockey player and a fan of the game, I was sold and uh, hooked. I think that's a great. I consider The Office a hockey-related show just because it's set in. It has the word Scranton in it. Because I, I I've been to some games at Wilkes-Barre Scranton, and that's a cool place to go watch hockey. I mean, I might be alone in thinking that, but it's in the middle of nowhere. It's American League hockey, which I'm a big fan of, and the fact that The Office takes place just well fictionally very close to that gets me pretty excited yeah, about in it. Burbank, I mean, California. <laughs> Even still, like I, I, I picture everybody sitting in the office, like on a Friday, you know, like you got Jim and Pam and everybody thinking about what are they going to do that night? I would be going down. I'd be going down the road to Mohican Sun Arena to watch the Penguins play. Like in the fictional world of the office, the Penguins are right there for them. Yeah. And Mike and Michael Scott slash Steve Carell, like you mentioned, is an actual hockey player. I don't know where this clip is from, but there's cl- footage of him out there from an old sitcom. I don't know what it is where he's a playing goal. He's a goalie. And he's like, it's a, it's a comedy bit about him trying to play goal by himself. So, you know, he's tying a puck to a, a remote controlled car and it's, he's, he's like directing it towards him or he could kick it out or he's, you know, got a puck on a line and he's pushing it towards himself and he's kicking it and he's got himself tied to the net. All sorts of funny scenarios involving Steve Carell. Maybe we'll find video of that and put it up on our Instagram page. Uh, but that's, that's another, another reason why you could love The Office, everybody. Michael Scott is a hockey guy, at yeah. least in my eyes. Pretty good. And I've seen, you know, and I would imagine the same thing happens to you when you're playing goalie by yourself. There's nobody shooting at you. I've seen the video clip you're talking about, and he still manages to get scored on. Uh, Same thing I would imagine would happen to you. I mean, I've had to do that over the last five months without anybody else around me to practice with. So I've used that as actual training video as actual drills to, to do. So, I mean, it's it's pretty accurate what he does in that video clip. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, But along those lines, you know, I talked a little bit about Seinfeld. Uh, There's a couple episodes of Friends, another 90s classic with uh, Joey Tribbiani walking around, rocking a Rangers jersey. Uh, We've got, of course, Joey on Full House. The other Joey. Other Joey, always known for uh, wearing a Detroit Red Wings jersey. I got a bone to pick with that show, though. I really do. If anybody out there has watched Full House, you'd know that one of the coolest things about about it is, of course, the hockey references that Joey, Dave Coulier, who's a hockey guy, he's an actual, genuine hockey guy. He's played in those, you know, like all-star NHL alumni hero games. And I'm disappointed. I really am. Because in his basement, we're in, in that house he had, they had the setup of the goalie mannequin. And he's wearing a Red Wings jersey and he's got the, the, the goalie pads on. But the pads are on the wrong leg. Oh. Who's... Who was producing this show that can't double check which leg a goalie pad goes on? Well, And shame on Dave Coulier because there's actually a, cl- a shot, a screenshot of him in that show wearing the goalie pads. And he's got them on the wrong leg too. And he knows the game. The outer roll on each pad goes on the outside. And he, What's so hard about that? He's not the only one. This is an epidemic. And for me... If you're going to get into cinema and you're going to get into film and television, what you're looking for is immersion. You're looking to be engrossed, enraptured by the world that you're watching on the screen. Well, I'll tell you what. Once I see uh, a supposed hockey goalie wearing the pads on the wrong leg, I'm changing the channel because I can't stay with it either. 
And this is not a goalie thing. This is a human rights issue. It really is. If you've got the pads on the wrong leg, the attention to detail is just not there. I, I can't do it. I can't wrap my mind around it. And I just feel that I need to turn the page whenever I see that. Uh, I'm sure as a goalie, it you probably stay awake. You probably haven't slept in years being forced to stay awake every night thinking about goalie pads on the wrong legs. It truly bothers me. I mean, I'm I, even if you're a forward like Dave Coulier, I think he's an actual forward. You should know what a goalie looks like correctly. I mean, this just really grinds my gears. I'm really fuming right now. I'm kind of heated about this because I, I spent my whole life trying to think about goalie pads, designing goalie pads, which goalie pads I want. And to see them on the wrong leg, I just can't do it. Well, look, why don't you just relax for a little I'll never while. watch that show again, I swear to you. Well, relax. Take it down a notch. And we're going to talk about maybe one or two of these other ones. Maybe some will bring back some better memories for I you. I hope so. Um, let's talk about... You know, this guy has no connection to any of our past origin stories. Let's talk about Casey Jones. Heard All right. So this guy appears in the, uh, the the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, and he's walking around and he has a little bit of an exchange with uh, Raphael, one of the Ninja Turtles. Um, when they when they take a look at this guy later in the film, they look at him and they say, is this Wayne Gretzky on steroids? So at the time, this is a popular, you know, current pop culture reference at that time. Now it's, uh, you know, sort of lost to the archives. Well dated. But Casey Jones walks around wearing a goalie mask, carrying a goalie stick, and just beating the ever-loving crap out of a whole ton of soldiers in the Foot Clan. Um, hockey player for sure. If you were on the fence about the 19, I want to say 1989, Ninja Turtles film, maybe 90? Might be 90. 90, 90, somewhere between 89, 91. If you were on the fence, if you've been sitting for the last 30 years wondering, should I watch this film or not? Now you know there's hockey in it in the form of this particular character. I'd say it's safe to uh, go ahead with. But Keeper, what about a guy like uh, Jason Voorhees? You, you got a guy who's known for wearing a goalie mask in that case. What do, what do you think of that? I mean, he made the goalie mask popular. You know, in the third Friday the 13th movie, he finds the goalie mask and it, you know, he wears it and it becomes his iconic image. So one of the, the greatest uh, horror movie villains, Jason Voorhees, is known for wearing a goalie mask. Does that give goalies a bad name? I mean, they've already had a bad name. Everyone thinks they're crazy. Now this guy's a, a homicidal killer. So what does that say about goaltenders? That's not fair but it's still a really cool image to see that goalie mask so i i, I won't, I, won't dis- I mean it's not i'm not disappointed to see the mask in good pop culture use back to ninja turtles though real quick since you mentioned the wayne gretzky comment if that movie was filmed in 2020 or released in 2020 would it still be a wayne gretzky comment who would the player be like who would be the who'd be the household player that would be associated with the game because hockey is more than just its biggest superstar I'm sticking with Wayne Gretzky. Still Wayne Gretzky. Years, I'm sticking with him 30-something years later because, I mean, nobody's more iconic. If you watch Pierre Maguire or the NBC sports guys, they're going to tell you it's Sidney Crosby, but it's not Sidney Crosby, okay? He's a decent player. There's nothing against the guy. Uh, maybe it'll be Nathan McKinnon in a short time or Connor McDavid, maybe. But nobody's got the iconic star power that Wayne Gretzky had. He... I mean, the guy appeared, okay, he appeared on a cartoon show alongside Michael Jordan and uh, Bo Jackson. These guys 
were uh, professional athletes and crime-fighting superheroes at the same time. I don't see Sidney Crosby doing anything like that. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say if you made the movie today, yes, it would be CGI. There'd be a whole bunch of differences in the production. Nobody would watch it anyway. So what's the difference? No, because there's no hockey references. And that's the point. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that, yes, it's still Wayne Gretzky. For my money, which isn't a lot, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it's still Wayne Gretzky. Another cool pop culture reference that I could think of is some videos, uh, music videos from the early 90s involving one Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Where he's wearing uh, the black Pittsburgh Penguins jersey, which is, you know, the the font is diagonally written across in Pittsburgh. He was wearing a Springfield Indians for all the American League fans out there, which I am a big one. That was cool to see a Springfield Indians jersey. For a while there, hockey jerseys were real popular and, you know, music videos. Yeah. This is probably the biggest one I could think of. So they were, but for me, it's hard to separate the past from the present. And this is a case where, you know, maybe the nostalgia bias is better than kind of looking at the current world. Because in the past, you might have seen Snoop Dogg wearing a a Los Angeles Kings game uh, jersey at a game, for example, and been like, wow, you know, he's wearing the, uh, the Gretzky era black, white and silver. And there's all these guys you know, involved and seems like hockey's pretty cool out there. And, and you know, around that time, you might have been staying up till two o'clock in the morning watching pro beach hockey on ESPN 2. I've or, seen a few episodes, or seen a few games. Or whatever they had going on back then. Uh, but then you have the clash with the present, okay? Let me tell you about Snoop Dogg and hockey in the present. And I hate to bring the video games into this again, but oh, this here we one go. is really kind of a sore spot, okay? Anybody who's played NHL 21, you want to talk about cringeworthy. You want to talk about, I want to throw my game console out the window. There's a whole sequence in this game where while you're playing in the, usually it's the second period, uh, you play the game and the, the, the new announcer they put in last year, James Sabalski says, I'm going to welcome Snoop Dogg up here in the broadcast booth with me. He comes out on the ice. Snoop Dogg's fine. He doesn't say anything terribly crazy. He's himself. He's exactly what you expect. Nothing wrong with him. The things that this guy, Sabalski says alongside of him are just cringeworthy. This is like if you had three dads in a backyard barbecue environment with socks up to their knees, shorts as high as the upper thigh. All right. And these guys have got pocket protectors. They're sitting around talking about who mows their grass the best and who's got the, uh, you know, the best dad jokes. And those three guys were asked to hang out with Snoop Dogg. That's what this guy's like all in one. It's awkward. It's cringeworthy. Every time he comes on there, I immediately press start, go down to exit game. I simulate the rest. I don't care if we get knocked out of game seven and we have to go home and I've got to make some tough decisions in the offseason, you know, cut a few guys, buy out some contracts. I don't care. I'm not listening to the Snoop Dogg and James Sobalski sequence anymore. I'm done. You might not be the only one. You might have uh, you might have touched a nerve there, Captain. I don't know. How about I mean, I'm you, sure. going back to the, the references in pop culture, I'm sorry I went off on the on the Snoop Dogg thing, but um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there is um, an, uh, an abundance of a Gordie Howe jersey worn yeah. by Cameron Fry, I believe the last name is. 
uh, oh, yeah. Ferris Bueller's best buddy, who's you know pretty you know nervous and uppity all movie, and he's wearing a Gordy Howe number nine Red Wings jersey in red, which is really iconic, right? Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Uh, this is you know obviously a classic '80s film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, that you know the jersey, it, it fits, it works. He's he's got kind of that. Uh, angsty personality obviously explodes a little bit later on in the movie and you can see you know that's kind of how hockey players are they kind of uh they're they're reserved most of the time but when they go in the corners and it's time to uh fight it out come out of there with a puck you know they're gonna do it and he does exactly the same thing explodes later on in the uh show but you know the uh some of the iconic scenes he's wearing that jersey throughout the whole thing uh, you know it's there you love it it's a hockey movie it counts and there's another one for our box office ticket. And by kind of by connection, um, a little different, but I'm going to say another one, you know, similar, obviously, is Happy Gilmore Talks. Oh, sure. It, it's technically a golf movie, but it, I almost didn't want to include that one in the list, Happy Gilmore, because it really they, they're pretty open about the hockey references. He's he's a hockey player at the beginning. You know, he uh, he stabbed a guy with a skate. You know, he's going for hockey tryouts every year. Uh, so they they he invites a would be uh, girlfriend onto the ice by himself, right? Yeah, you know, of course, friends always listen to endless love in the dark. Of I course, the phrase. Uh, but you know, he uh, he goes ahead and he's he's. They're not hiding the fact that it starts off as a hockey movie. So I I didn't know that it should necessarily count, but. You know, he's wearing that Bruins jersey. He gets into it. He beats up Bob Barker in the middle of the film on the golf course, playing in a celebrity, you know, pro match type deal. I got to say a little bit more aggressive about it, but he brought that Bruins jersey, to a sharp, yeah. sharp Bruins jersey. Oh, for sure. White Bruins uh, jersey. Never really seen it worn with those kind of pants before. But, you know, the red yeah. <laughs> 90s pants that he was, pinkish red pants he was wearing with him. But, you know, he gets in the fight with Bob Barker. He uh, helps to further kind of uh, bring that Bruins jersey to the uh, to the forefront and uh, pretty good stuff. Uh, I did also have one other one that I. Uh, what was, you got? Well, so I was forced to watch a film over the past couple of years um, this was a Christmas type of film that I was forced to see, but I, I watched it and actually thought it was pretty funny. There, there's a film that usually goes around on Netflix or Hallmark or whatever. It's called Just Friends. So this is a film with Ryan Reynolds where he supposedly was this really fat, uh, unattractive guy in high school. And he uh, grows up to be Ryan Reynolds. So obviously, you know, a little bit of a change. So he goes back to his hometown at some point in this film and uh, it's somewhere up north. They've got an outdoor pond hockey rink that's set up. He goes out there and he plays and forget the movie, forget the hockey scene, forget all that stuff. The most important thing is he gets forced to have to play a hockey game wearing rental skates from a he doesn't, he doesn't, he comes on the trip. He doesn't bring his rentals, his real skates. So he's got to wear rentals, you know, the, oh, the you worst. and I know, uh, we, we, you know, anybody the that's been on the game, you've been to enough rinks at some point or another, you've either been forced to wear them or handed whatever. them out to somebody. <laughs> so I think most people would laugh at this film for the lack of realism. He's out playing some sort of organized hockey game against a bunch of eight year olds. And he's, 
Uh, he's complaining the whole time saying, I'm actually really good. I'm the leading scorer in my league back home. And he's got about a hundred mile an hour slap shot, but he can't seem to skate. He's fallen down everywhere. I take the opposite stance. I saw this film and I'm thinking to myself, this is as realistic as it gets. If you had to play a national, you know, I was going to say national hockey. If you had to play an organized hockey game and you had to go ahead and wear rental skates throughout, I mean, it would be a disaster of biblical proportions, if you will. I think that's got to be everyone's biggest fear, right? You, you show up to a rink, you don't have your skates on. What are you going to do? You're going to drive back home. It's already probably midnight. You're going to throw on the rental skates, right? That's, that's all you can do. Yeah, it's better that than going home, I suppose. But I, uh, I really identified with that. I've had to try it one time and one time only. I never would wish that even on you or my worst enemy. I uh, wouldn't go for it. But uh, I think... Um, and, and even little things, you know, we talked about uh, the Dark Knight in Batman. You know, there's a scene oh, where yeah. he's fighting some of the street thugs and he's got some vigilantes that rally alongside him. And he makes a quip to the effect of uh, I'm not wearing hockey pads, he says to the guys, you know, as the reason why they need to go home and let him stay out there and do it. Far as I'm concerned, that tabs the entire Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy as a hockey trilogy. That puts our box office numbers through the roof. Hockey movies in general, really on the rise. I want more too that I'm thinking about as you're talking here is Wayne's World. Oh, I yeah. think Wayne's World is a definite hockey movie, right? I mean, they're playing game on. I mean, an entire slogan from the National Hockey League was taken from that movie. Yeah. Game on from yeah. the lockout in 95. And uh, I guess by connection too, you know, we didn't even talk about uh, Swingers, the film that brings NHL, well, Theoretically, NHL 94, although I'm pretty sure they're actually playing NHL 93 in the film with Jeremy Roenick. Going Can't say as I've seen it. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, that rock, I got a rock under you. You mentioned before I'm living. Under yeah, that rock. you've yeah. been living under it. But, you know, it, you got time, I guess. It's not going anywhere. We'll try and find you a copy on VHS since that seems to be your format prefer, of choice. I, I like to rewind my videos. Yeah, Saturday be kind. Be kind and make sure you rewind. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to pivot on to uh, the Keeper's favorite segment here. And and uh, maybe a few of you out there as well, not me personally. But we'll move on to Hugging the Post with a Keeper. Yeah, I mean, of the, like you said, of the two people who listen to the show, uh, definitely one or two of them has to be a big fan of Hugging the Post. So last episode, last episode of Hugging the Post, we spent time talking about an iconic goalie mask, the Cooper SK2000, which is a pretty cool segment, I thought. Today, I want to kind of go back towards the, the playoffs a little bit here. Um, we kind of touched upon some of these Hugging the Post topics already with unexpected playoff goaltending heroics. Um, looking at this particular second round, even the first round, we saw some heroics from some unlikely goaltenders. As we've spoken of, we saw Michael Hutchinson step in for the Colorado Avalanche. And, you know, he had been a draft pick, I think it was from the of the Boston Bruins, like over a decade ago, kind of toiling around in the minor leagues, even played for Toronto at the start of this NHL season. Uh, only set foot into the NHL net of the Avalanche because both Grubauer went down and Francouz went down. In fact, I think they had to call up a guy, Hunter Miska, uh, you know, to to be to to go into the bubble to be the backup to Hutchinson. So Hutchinson ends up winning a couple of games, keeps Colorado alive, almost takes Game Seven. I mean, they went to Game Seven in overtime, so he was real close to 
stealing a series and potentially being the starting goaltender heading into the conference finals, which is really cool. That's what the playoffs can do. It can it could make a name for a goaltender. It could make them into a household name that everybody knows. And Hutchinson almost did it. And who knows where he'll be playing next year? Who knows if he'll be on the avalanche next year? I don't know. But he had a good run of a couple of games. I know Thatcher Demko for the for the uh, Canucks. Maybe if the Canucks put him in earlier, they could have taken that series. Who knows? I mean, he was a stud. I mean, I almost single-handedly took the Canucks to the conference finals. He would have been a hero in Vancouver. Instead, they're probably rioting in the streets. I know Vancouver fans are pretty good for doing that, and not to not to badmouth them. But I've well, seen some riots out of there. They're I think when passionate they- about the game. Passionate about the game. That's fair, right? Um, so Thatcher Demko nearly took the Canucks to the conference finals, which is pretty cool to think about when Markstrom went down. Um, and of course, we mentioned already Thomas Grice. You know, Grice stepped in a couple times for the Islanders, uh, in, especially in Game 7, and had a shutout. But it got me thinking about my favorite goaltending hero from, well, from the early 2000s. And maybe you could back me up on this if you think that you, you, know, you like this guy too. But 2001... The Pittsburgh Penguins make a run to the conference finals where they'll ultimately lose to the New Jersey Devils. The Devils go on to the Stanley Cup finals that year um, and lose to the Avalanche and do not play John Van Beesbrook in game seven. But that's the other story that we mentioned previously. But the Pittsburgh goalie was Johan Hedberg, the Moose. Moose. And who would have seen the Penguins making a run that deep with a goalie that nobody knew about who they acquired at the trade deadline that year? who went with his blue Manitoba Moose International Hockey League helmet. I think that was the first helmet painted by Dave Art that made it to the National Hockey League. And for those of you in the goaltending know, Dave Art is like the guy who has the most helmets painted in the NHL. He's in space out of Sweden. His name is David Gunnarsson. Paints for Henrik Lundqvist. Paints for a lot of the Swedish goaltenders. I mean, quite frankly, I think he paints for 90-something percent of the NHL guys. But this was his start in the National Hockey League. And Moose, like you bellowed out, became his nickname because he had a moose on his helmet. So he's got a baby blue and white helmet with the yellow and black Pittsburgh Penguins. It makes for a great story. He went on a great run, ended up having 18 games that that playoff and had a 9-9 nine and nine record. So Johan Hedberg made a name for himself, I think, unexpectedly. He took the Penguins on a good run. So the NHL playoffs can make stars out of goaltenders. And, and Johan Hedberg ended up sticking around for, I mean, he played in the NHL till uh, about 2013, 2014. So he had a pretty good NHL career. You know, made a name for himself. He carried the moose over to every helmet that he wore, every team he played for. It became his thing. And um, watching these guys play, watching uh, Hutchinson and Demko, it's kind of sad that they don't get to prolong their runs. But um, maybe Thomas Grice will prolong his run if he starts game one. But I, he had got me thinking about Johan Hedberg, and I'm sure there's other great stories and Cinderella goaltenders who have come out of nowhere. Maybe you guys, maybe the fans at home can start can share some with us. Maybe we missed a guy here. But I jumped to Hedberg. What do you think about this keeper? Do you remember this series, the oh, end of the season? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool because that was a, a time where the Penguins refused to kind of go along with what the rest of the league was doing. The rest of the league, for those of us you know who are – paying attention, but weren't, uh, you obviously in your mind, you know, obviously you're focused on the goaltending perspective, but for the rest of us that were watching kind of the offense or, you know, the rest of the uh, teams, that was a time where the Pittsburgh Penguins were in a world where everybody else around them was playing defense, defense, defense. This was post New Jersey Devils had already implemented this in the mid nineties. 
everybody was moving to crack down solid defensive hockey. And the Penguins refused to modernize. They stuck to an offensive style that was fun to watch. It was a relic of the early 90s. And, you know, the Moose, like you said, this guy comes out of nowhere. Uh, The Penguins refused to go out uh, and just kind of sell out to the defensive style that was seen around the league at the time. And they keep going all offense. And it was a pretty entertaining run. I remember rooting for those guys because they were the one team that was out there still trying to, you know, play some fire wagon hockey, uh, using their offensive stars and getting out there. And, you know, for at least for a uh, forwards knowledge of what the goalie has to do, uh, doesn't take a whole lot to have to tell people that if the team is playing fire wagon hockey on the other side of the ice, chances are the goalie's going to be facing some pretty high percentage chances back the other way. So this wasn't one of your modern goalies who's dropping down on his knees and shuffling across and the puck's hitting him in the bread basket. This guy was standing on his head, right? I mean, you remember that performance. Oh, sure. This guy was playing out of his mind, acrobatics, diving everywhere, making saves like crazy. That was a lot of fun to watch. I remember it well. That was a goaltender, you know, a guy who actually, you know, made saves instead of blocked the puck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the Penguins, like you said, were pretty high high powered off. And they, Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager were still on that team. Yeah. So I mean, they that. could have went to the Stanley Cup Finals on the backs of the Moose, you know. So the, he was going up against Marty Brodeur. He had already defeated Dominic Hasek. So he defeated Hall of Fame goaltender. So that was that's what the playoffs can do. I I enjoy like watching a run like that. That's why I like the playoffs every year, waiting to see who the next Johan Hedberg's going to be, who's going to be the next guy who comes out of nowhere. I so. We'll Do, see if there's I have to take issue with uh not something you said for once, but I do have to take issue with uh sort of you talked about Hutchinson a little bit, and then you talked about uh some of the situation going on um in the in the bubble type of environment, right? So my question has to be uh, you know, my early vote for uh, Heart Trophy, and I have not been uh shy about this at all. You know, my early vote for the Hart Trophy was, of course, David Ayers, uh, the goaltender who came in as the emergency backup and naturally to go ahead and get a win. And that's a that's me advocating for a goaltender. But this is the first guy I've seen in a while with some heart coming in at age, what, 42. Uh, He's a Zamboni driver by day, wins a game. How come we haven't seen him get involved more in these situations? Why why are these teams turning to uh, you know their fourth and fifth string guys when they know a guy like that is out there? I think this is you trying to poo-poo the importance of the goaltender one more time. And I don't I take issue with this. You bring Wait, up you the take emergency. issue with David Ayers, one of the best goalies in NHL history, other than Scott it. Foster. I take issue with you pulling out an emergency backup goaltender being, hey, why can't they just use that guy instead of anybody else they have? Well, you know, okay. because the Hurricanes shut down and play defense the rest of the game. Let's think that you're, you're minimizing the importance and the significance of the goaltender. And I won't stand for this anymore. Listen, well, without the goal, it doesn't make a difference. Name one Stanley Cup winner in the last, I don't know, five years who wouldn't have done that without their starting goaltender making the timely save at the right moment. Like late, late last year, Bennington, he comes up, he stands on his head. Forget Bennington last year and um, this year. This year, because I'd love Forget to talk about Bennington this, this year. year. Bennington. Forget him. 
we're talking about last year being too. Never had a bad a, uh, a bad game after he after, never had a two bad games in a row. Always had a good game after a bad outing. You need that goaltender to exude the confidence, to have the team support them, to make the save when they're supposed to, to make the to make the saves they're not supposed to. So every Stanley Cup winner has had those kinds of goaltenders. So you're not going to throw in a David Ayers. Sure. I mean, you might toss me in there and get a W if the no. team plays enough defense and I'll face a shot. Well, Jordan but- Bennington is one Justin Bieber goal away from riding the bus and playing for the Tallahassee Warthogs. Okay, you said it yourself in a previous episode. This this was a poor example for you to bring up. This guy doesn't have it, and that, that's not the example you want to use. Okay, let me. How about this. how about Jonathan Quick? Would you know Jonathan Quick in 2012 won the Stanley Cup with the Los Angeles Kings? Yes, he did. But let me flip this around for you, and let's take some of the other teams, and let, let's take a look at this. So the Dallas Stars play the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, do you think they could have pulled their accountant? out of the back and put him in instead of Brett Hull and they still would have won. You think that would have worked? I'm going to say no, but Scott Foster did it for Chicago. Okay. But it's not, it's not a one and done thing. They also had David Ayers come in against Toronto and all right. Yes. Maybe uh, Toronto hasn't had the best. Let's not talk about Toronto. I mean, yeah, we we don't want to put salt in the wound of our uh, friends up North there, but but, you know, David Ayers comes in and beats that team. I'm going to go ahead and say that if you pulled their Zamboni driver and made him the first line center and put him out on the ice the same amount of minutes that the team captain would have to play, I'm going to go ahead and say that game ends a little bit differently. But you can pull a goalie out of the accounting. I mean, the guy could be one day putting the website together or running the Zamboni, next day – as far as I'm concerned, emergency backup goalies are undefeated in the NHL. It's a trend I'd like to continue. But unfortunately for the keeper, uh, that's all the time we have for today, folks. Uh, make sure you follow us at the Captain and the Keeper on uh, Instagram and Facebook. We're available on Google Podcasts. We're available on Spotify. Uh, just about everywhere you can find podcasts uh, that we know of anyway. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. And make sure you guys use the hashtag Captain and the Keeper for any topics or questions that you want to have answered. Hey, did we t- did we miss a movie? Do you think that we could have done something different? Let us know about it. Why don't you give us a comment? Send us a private message. Hey, we'll maybe have a little conversation with you. We love to talk to our fans out there. And that's about all the time we have for today. So bye-bye now. Bye-bye.